God, we give our time over to you, and we thank you for what you've done already, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us, Lord. I offer myself to you now, and I pray that whatever uh, you want to say to the people today, Lord, whatever you want to do in ministry to them would be done through me and whatever uh, means you want to use, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as you can see, um, the healing of Peter, healing for us is the topic for today. Now, let me just uh, briefly tell you how this came about. I was thinking, uh, you know, the follow-up to Easter, had a great Easter time last week, of course, and uh, it was just a fullness of worship and a great teaching by Christian, and and uh, we really, um, really uh, entered into just the, the amazement and the joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the very center point of the universe, the the, the place at which time separated from, you know, uh, actually the birth of Christ, but the before Christ and after Christ and the resurrection and the ushering in of, the, of a new dimension of the kingdom of God coming to the earth. and Just an incredible thing. And uh, if you haven't seen, it's probably not in the movies anymore, but if you haven't seen the movie Risen, you really should see it. And I don't know, I mean, you'll probably be able to see it on DirecTV or somehow get, get it through Amazon or whatever. I don't think it's there in the movie houses anymore, but it, um, it was, uh, was very powerful. And it's a, it's a really great study. If you see the movie, you'll see this. It's a really great study of the, the attitude, the uh, atmosphere around the apostles after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you'll just, uh, you'll just enter into that, I think. So I was thinking, you know, uh, what should we follow up Easter with in terms of teaching? And uh, it occurred to me that many, te- many churches uh, kind of track through the, the post-resurrection history of Jesus as they move through the calendar, kind of the church calendar um, uh, through the appearances and then uh, on to um, the ascension and then, of course, the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost and, and that kind of ushers in the, the whole uh, Spirit-filled church age that, that we're in now and still continuing in until, until Jesus comes back again, the end of time. So I thought, well, what can we focus in on? And, and the Lord brought to mind the, the, um, the incident post-resurrection of Jesus interacting with Peter. And actually, what we're going to be talking about today has to do with um, the incident uh, on the shore where Jesus appears, and we're going to be reading this in a second just to set it up though. Jesus appears and uh, the uh, seven seven disciples, Peter and uh, six other apostles are out in the boat fishing, and um, Jesus is on the shore, and he yells to them. They're about 100 yards out, and he says, how's fishing doing? (laughs) And they say, not so great, didn't catch anything. And he said, well, why don't you try the right side of the boat? And so it is a reproduction, right, of that initial calling of many of the disciples from their fishing vocation into following the Lord early on when the Lord first appeared on the scene. So we've got kind of a, a redo that's going on. And you're going to find that, that this redo uh, 
started with that recreation of that event and then moves into a redo of the most horrible incident in Peter's life as well. And I've titled it The Healing of Peter, The Healing of Us, because we're going to find that there are applications to us that uh, we can draw out of this passage that, ha- that has to do uh, with the healing of Peter as well. So I want, I want to just, um, this is a somewhat of a serious talk this morning, because it has to do with an issue that um, some of us may be struggling with in either a major form or a minor form. And um, let me set it up by telling you about uh, what came to mind uh, that has to do with kind of an historical story. Uh, back during the times of the early church, the first two, three hundred years of the church, there were councils that gathered together. Council of Nicaea, Council of Constantinople, Council of Ephesus, another Council of Nicaea. And these councils were gatherings together of the church leaders of the day. Uh, and if we had a video camera, which we, of course we did not have, but if we could show that, what you would see is you would see these older, typically older men who would come walking into this hall where they would be meeting together to resolve an issue in church life. And they would be walking in and some would be limping. And some would be being led in. And others couldn't talk well. And why is that? Because these guys had suffered persecution for their faith. And they were missing legs. And they were missing arms. And they had an eye or two gouged out. They were missing ears. Some had their tongues cut out. And they were alive. And they were still there in Christ. And they were still leading the church. But they'd suffered massively for their faith. And one of the issues that these early leaders had to deal with was how does the church regard those who, and there were many, instead of suffering persecution, denied the Lord? They were asked by their persecutors to curse the name of Jesus, and they did, instead of suffer persecution and be executed in many cases or be tortured. But these who had denied the faith wanted to come back into the fold of the church. And there was understood to be covering and power and protection and healing in the church, in the sacraments of the church. So they wanted to be brought back in. And so these grizzled and maimed leaders, not all of them, but many of them, faced a dilemma. How do we receive these who want to come back now? Are they truly repentant? Did not Jesus say, those who deny me before men, I will deny before my Father. And those who confess me before men, I will confess before my Father. Heavy. A heavy dilemma. 
And so they had to wrestle through how to deal with this. But this brings up the issue of grievous sin in our own lives. And when we have done something as Peter did, and I don't think, you know, we, we really, you know, we gloss over when we read through the gospel accounts and all four of the gospel accounts contain the denial by Peter of Jesus during the mock trial at the house of Caiaphas. So it was a big deal. All of the gospel writers record it. And of course, Mark was written as the personal record of Peter's recollection. And so in the gospel of Mark, this is included. So this was not something that Peter was trying to hide. It was clear, but it was very strong. It was it was of greater depth and solemnity, I think, than we realize when we read it over. Well, he denied the Lord, and then he was forgiven, and then he went on. Well, if you enter into the consciousness of Peter, I mean, this was a heavy time. This was a heavy time. And so what we're going to look at is this, this issue of us who maybe haven't denied the Lord as massively as Peter did or these early Christians did where they were confronted with a choice to face martyrdom or deny the Lord and they denied the Lord and then they went back in the church. Maybe that wasn't what we have done, but we have done other things. We have failed the Lord or we have continued in an area of really serious sin and to us it's serious and everything is relative of course and and sin's a relative thing. And some of us, I don't think there's anybody in the church who's a murderer. But Paul was a murderer. David was a murderer. Probably there are people in the church who've been adulterers. And this has ruined families. And so how do we regard our relationship with the Lord? And how do we regard our relationship with one another? And how do we see each other when... When we're in this situation, but we, we desire to come back to the Lord. So we want to look at the, the example of Peter today. So let's take a look. Let's go to the next slide. Peter's triple denial of Jesus. This is the Matthew account. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard of the high priest's house, warming himself by a charcoal fire. And this is a reference from John 18, 18 through 19. Now, I want you to look at this. This I included this here because in other accounts it makes very clear it was by a charcoal fire. This is important when we come to the account of Peter's encounter with Jesus on the beach of the Sea of Tiberias, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So a servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean, but Peter denied it in front of everyone, a public denial. This wasn't personal, private. So this was loud. This was in front of Who knows, dozens of people who heard? I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man. Now, the oath is not included, but he's cussing here. So he's adding, so the old Peter, the old rough fisherman, It's starting to come forth. 
And I'm not going to say what I think he might have said. <laughs> but you guys can supply unless you are really pristine pure. But most of you, if not all of you, will have something that you can supply here. I don't even know the man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. So his accent gave him away. It was a distinctive accent for those who came from Galilee in Judea. Peter swore. Now it gets even more blasphemous, unedifying, abusive language coming out of his mouth. A curse on me if I'm lying. So he curses himself. This is heavy. I don't know this man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. So not only would he not declare he was a disciple, but he didn't even know him. You don't even know the guy. So his lying, I have a feeling before he was saved, he's probably a pretty good liar. I know many of us before we were saved were really creative liars. I was a very creative liar. I really was. You could, you could, I could deceive just about anybody. Because you learn how to weave a little bit of truth in with the falsehood. Now nah, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. That's terrible. And Peter went away weeping bitterly. That's important. Because there was repentance that was operating in Peter. Once he came to conviction, because he had seen what he was doing, the Holy Spirit came, I believe, upon him even right then and convicted him of a sin. And he just, he just walked away. And he repented in his heart. He was weeping bitterly. But this is huge. He denied Jesus three times before men. So I wonder what he was thinking. He surely knew the words of Jesus. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. There's another account that says that, that the third time when, when Peter denied Jesus, that Jesus looked at him. So they were close enough in the courtyard of Caiaphas where this mock trial was taking place. They were close enough that Jesus caught the eye of Peter. So talk about the conviction. Okay. Now let's fast forward. So we're now post-resurrection. We're now at a time, this is the third appearance of Jesus to the disciples who were grouped together. He had appeared to individuals before. As a matter of fact, in Luke 24, 34, we have a reference that tells us that Jesus appeared personally to Peter before the, the incident we're going to be looking at. So there had already been one appearance of the resurrected Jesus to Peter. That conversation is not recorded. There's just a reference to it, but there's no record of it. I think I knew what happened. <laughs> How proud is that? But I think I, I think I have a feeling what happened during that, and I'll say it in a second. So let's turn to the next scripture. I told you what happened. These guys were fishing. This Jesus says, did you catch any fish? No. Put your net over. And all of a sudden, the net filled with fish. And John on the boat recognized, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter jumps into the water, just like he did before. Remember, and walked on the water to Jesus when Jesus was walking. 
But Peter jumps into the water and he, and he makes his way into the shore. He's the first one in there. And then all the rest of them come in on the boat and pull the, pull the net. And the boat is almost sinking. It's so full of fish, but they all come in. So this is now they're on the beach. Jesus has been cooking them breakfast. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. This is so funny. Christian pointed out last week. Jesus apparently loved to eat with people. And why? Because in the ancient world, even in the modern world, but particularly in the ancient world, eating with people was a sign of friendship and fellowship and depth of intimacy of relationship that, uh, that would bond people together. There were fellowship meals that, that kind of were part of covenants that were made and, and celebrations that occurred where things were joined together and it was celebrated with eating together. So... Come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. That's odd. There's some odd things in scripture. But this is kind of odd. I think this is weird. I mean, you know, the scripture tells us that they knew it was the Lord, and yet none of them dared ask him, who are you? Well, why would they ask him, who are you, if they knew it was the Lord? I don't know. I don't understand this completely. But believe it or not, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that I don't understand completely. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish, cooked over a charcoal fire, by the way. Earlier in this account, there is the detail that Jesus was cooking over a charcoal fire. Why is that important? God is a bit of a literary artist. (laughs) And so God, I think, set this up, Jesus set this up so that there would be a charcoal fire at the point of denial. And now a charcoal fire again, where something was going to happen that was going to be the opposite of the denial. Okay? Jesus was going to heal Peter. And the charcoal fire was the common element. Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Okay, so now we enter into, so that's awkward. I mean, there's no indication here that they were talking to each other. It seems like they were kind of silent with each other. And Jesus was giving them the food and they were eating, but maybe they were awed. Who knows? Maybe it was a bit awkward. Maybe Peter was a bit awkward. But after the breakfast is over, then Jesus, in front of the other six disciples, begins a conversation with Peter. And this is what we're going to look at right now. So let's go to the next scripture. And I've entitled this Peter's first declaration, Starting His Healing. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now that word for love, a couple things I want to say about this. Couple of the, the word for love here is agape, which means full devotion, unconditional commitment. Jesus is asking Peter whether there is an intensity of unconditional love and amazing devotion that Peter has for him. Do you love me this way? is what Jesus is saying to Peter. This is a probing question. This is a powerful question. And we could get, we could get into talking about the different forms of uh, uh, love that are referred to and the question and the answer. I don't really want to focus on that. I don't have time. We could do it, but I, I think I want to move into something else. But I want you to know that, that that's what he's asking. Do you really have this depth of love for me, Peter? And by the way, more than these... Now, some people say that these is these other six. Do you love me, Peter, more than these other six love me? I don't think that's the interpretation. I don't think that's what he's saying. 
Because I don't think Jesus wants to bring up a, a, a rivalry contrast thing to Peter. I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's about these meaning the fishing boats, the fishing nets, the vocation that he's gone back into and what Jesus is really saying to him, Peter, you've gone back into your old way. You've gone back into your, your vocation that you were prepared for, your career, and you've gone back into that. You know I'm resurrected. You know I have a call in your life. But you've gone back into your old way. Do you love me more than you love the camaraderie of the fishermen, the, the smell of the sea, the, the joy of, of pulling in the fish? Do you love me more than you love this because you've gone back? To, and Peter led that. Other places in scripture talks about Peter led the way back into the fishing industry, back into the fishing job that he and others have had before and the others followed him. So Peter had led this way of, of the disciples back into something that Jesus, I believe, right now is calling Peter and all the rest out of that old way that they'd entered back into. Do you love me more than you love these things? And Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, this word love is a different kind of love that Jesus spoke and said, do you love me? It is a love that's more like a friendship love. And some translations of this verse Read, you know, says Peter, that I am your friend. So Jesus says, do you love me intensely? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter's answering, yes, Lord, you know I'm your friend. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. Um, I'm going to hold on that one a second. But we've got, I want you to see, this is the first time, the first question is asked, And the first answer is given, and I want to try to represent to you the way I think Jesus, the way I think Peter said his answer. I think he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. All right, let's go to the next. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Same question. Same answer, Jesus Yes, you know that I love you and take care of my sheep. Now, I want to tell you what I think is happening here before we go any further. Because the first incident we just looked at, the question, the answer, the commission, is now followed by a second that looks almost exactly the same. So what's going on? Here's what I think is going on. I think that Jesus is taking Peter through a session of inner healing. I think that to counteract the three denials, Jesus is leading Peter to make three powerful new declarations that will counteract, cancel out, and undo the power of the denials. And those of you who have been through inner healing that we do in this church and many churches do, you know that part of what happens is God's healing power is capable of taking those deep, deep wounding things that are in us that govern our behavior. And Jesus' healing is so great that he can reach in and he can reframe that. He can rework that. He can cancel out the old and he can bring part anew, bring part the new. And I think the way he often does it is he causes you to say with your mouth the new truth that is opposite to the lie. 
The lie was, I don't know you. The truth is, Lord, I love you. So Jesus is taking Peter through an inner healing. And I think Jesus appeared to Simon first. Remember I told you there was another incident. It wasn't recorded what happened, but I think what happened was that Jesus said to Peter, I forgive you. And I think probably Peter wept. But you know what? I don't think Peter was able to forgive himself. And you know what I think happened too? I think that he disqualified himself from going forward in the ministry that God had for him. Jesus didn't disqualify him, but he disqualified himself. The evidence was what? He went back into his old way of fishing. And he said, that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And hopefully I can be a good believer in the Lord. And Jesus is appearing in order to rework all that. He's undoing the old and he's bringing to pass the new. And the power of the testimony. So the first time Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. There is no way we can know the the intensity or how uh, Peter said this second time, same statement. But I believe it may have been something like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I believe there was more urgency. A second time, he gave testimony. He said, I love you. This was counteracting. I didn't even know you. I now love you. I'm stating my love for you. There's something happening in the soul of Peter. There's something happening deep inside. I believe that he is beginning to overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of his testimony. He is speaking out of his mouth. I am now a lover of my Lord Jesus. And I think he's undoing what he had said before. Now we go to the third one. The third time, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time he uses the word phileo. We're not going to get into this, but it's interesting that he does that. He kind of accommodates himself to what Peter is saying, but we don't have to really belabor that point. But now look, Peter was hurt. This is in the scripture. Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. But I think Jesus did it intentionally because I think Jesus was after something in Peter. He was after something in the soul of this passionate man who was destined to be the leader of his young church. He was after the passion. He was after the deep emotional commitment that made Peter not only the bombastic guy who stumbled into this and jumped into that and maybe made mistakes, but he had that same power that strengthened this man who could stand up at Pentecost and preach to over 3,000 people and bring 3,000 of probably 10,000 people to the Lord in one day through a powerful sermon. And there had to be a powerful soul in this man And the powerful soul in this man was stirred by passion. And so Peter was was led by Jesus through this repetition process of asking the same question over and over until finally something rose up in Peter and he was hurt. And he said, Lord, you know everything. Come on, stop asking me that. (laughs) You know that I love you. And there are no exclamation points in the Greek manuscripts where we get scripture. (laughs) 
But I put him in there because I think that's what it sounded like. I think he said, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus stopped asking him because something had stirred inside. Peter was back. The old, impetuous, passionate Peter was back. And so the commissioning again that happened each time, then feed my sheep. Come away from fishing in the natural and start fishing in the spiritual and start coming out and feeding my sheep and taking your place as the rightful leader of my young church. And this was the power of testimony, the power of speaking out with our mouths of the truth of Jesus. And this is what I really want to say to you today. How are we healed Guys, we are healed largely. You know, why is it so powerful when we get up here and we, we sing out praise and worship, when we sing God, our cornerstone? Isn't that a great song, Cornerstone? Cornerstone, what are we doing? We are proclaiming the truth out of our mouth. And when we speak out of our mouth the truth, there's something that penetrates into our souls and changes us. You need to see that. There is a power that the scripture talks about and it's not weird cultic truth or theology. It is biblical reality that what you speak out of your mouth concerning what you believe is true will transform you into the truth that you have spoken. And so when you speak out, Jesus, I love you, then you will love him even more. When you say, Jesus, I am yours and you will use me, then you will find yourself being used in this life for the purposes of the Lord. What you speak is powerful. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, a person speaks or declares the truth, resulting in salvation or wholeness. Another word for salvation is wholeness. How does God make us whole? He makes us whole by revealing the truth to us. And then we rise up. And this is something many times we miss. And we need to get this. We need to get this truth. That we need to speak out the truth that the Lord shows us. Man, how many of us have been so overjoyed by knowing the power that Jesus Christ, because of what he did for us on the cross and through the resurrection, he became our righteousness, right? And our own righteousness is like filthy rags. It's not righteousness at all. But you know, God blesses us not on the basis of our own unrighteousness, but on the basis of the divine righteousness of Jesus Christ. And man, we, we know it. And we say it. And as we say it, it becomes so real to us. It's real and it's true. But the truth has to move eight inches from the head to the heart. And how does that happen? It happens partially through us rising up and, and saying the truth that we know to be true. Okay, I want to give you four quick takeaways from this truth that we've just seen in the scripture. Let's go to the next one. Number one, truth one. The good news is really great. (laughs) Jesus fully forgives our sins, and so should we, even to the point of forgetting them. One of the things I didn't say earlier, but the first time Jesus confronted Peter on the beach, he did not say, now Peter, let's talk about your denial. Why did you do that, buddy? Are you really sorry? No! No! Jesus has forgotten about it. He's forgotten about the sin part. He's interested in restoring Peter and removing the inner unforgiveness 
and removing the inner disqualification that I believe Peter was suffering from, but Jesus didn't even go to the sin. You know, the amazing thing is that Jesus, God himself, with regard to our sins, because of the covering power of the blood of the lamb that covers over us, guess what? God doesn't hold our sins against us, and he doesn't even remember them anymore. Isn't that powerful? Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. If we truly repent and return to him, which I believe Peter did, he remembers our sins no more. He wipes the slate clean and regards us as if we had never sinned at all. Isn't that incredible? Because when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. And when he wants to bless us, he says, I can do it because this guy is in my son. And so when I bless my son, I bless all in him. Isn't that cool? So that's truth number one. Know it. Hey, guess what? Forget your own sin. If I had more time, I'd tell you story after story of my stupid sin. Let me tell you one quick story I got to. <laughs> I got to tell you this. When I was in college, believe it or not, I was such kind of a weird guy, but I was a seeker after truth. I wasn't that weird, but I was a, I was a seeker after truth, and during, after one philosophy class, I tried to uh, uh, find out whether or not I really, ha- whether a conscience was real. I wanted to know whether a conscience was really real in the human being. And so I decided to test whether I had a conscience. So my buddy and I went out, and in, in, on the street... Uh, nearby the college, we found a car that we could open the hood of, and I ripped all the distributor wires out of that car. And I did it to find out whether or not I'd feel guilty. That's the only reason I did it, to find out whether or not I had a conscience, a mechanism in here that would make me, make me feel bad about doing something stupid and bad like that. Guess what? I found out I did have a conscience. Then I faced a dilemma, what would I do about this? I can't go and, I mean, you know, was I going to tell the people? Was I going to go confess, whatever? I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I felt really horrible about it. So I felt like I, and I felt bad about it, but you know what? I, that, I don't even remember that anymore, even though I've just said it to you. The pain of it, the stupidity of it, the condemnation of it, I don't even remember it anymore. I remember the incident, but I don't remember the pain associated with it. And that's the kind of forgetting of your sin you're called to do. Forget the sin and the trauma, or forget the trauma and the condemnation associated with what you've done. You can remember that you've done so that you won't do it again, but don't remember the pain because Jesus takes the pain and drains it out of us. And we don't have to flagellate ourselves with the pain anymore. All right, guys, I'm getting close to ending in terms of time, but I want to go through three more truths. I'm really sorry. I do have personal cool stories with every truth, but I won't have time to say them. Okay, second truth. Our sins do not disqualify us from reaching our full destiny in Christ. When our hearts are toward him, Jesus will enable us to fulfill our destinies in him. I want you to know that. Is there anybody in this room who has done really bad things that you have felt really horrible about? Put your hand up if that's true. Guess what? That very thing, as long as your heart is toward the Lord and you want him to take you on in him, that stuff 
will not ever disqualify you from following the Lord fully and fulfilling your destiny. You didn't blow it and get out of God's will forever. I got to tell you this quick story. Lynn yesterday, Lynn last week or the week before, whenever she taught, she mentioned the fact that I broke up with her. Remember, I broke up with her after we got together. Uh, After she moved here from Pennsylvania, she moved to Delaware. So I broke up with her because I was God's man. And I wanted to find out, you know, I didn't think I should have a woman in my life because I wanted to be God's man and minister and all that stuff, right? So, and I struggled for a year afterwards because I was pounded in my head with the thought that after I married Lynn, I had disqualified myself because I married her from following the Lord fully and fulfilling my destiny. It's not horrible. <laughs> because I believe actually marrying her was the way I got into my destiny. But finally, the Lord broke me free, and I know that my sin, but that disqualification feeling was horrible. And I think that's what Peter was suffering under. Truth number three, quickly. Next slide. Do not disqualify others by sitting in judgment of their forgiven sins. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master, the Lord, will judge whether they stand or fall. So let's stop condemning one another. Someone sins in the body. Someone commits adultery in the body. And they ruin their family. And you know the family. And you love the family. And you see the devastation in the children. And then that adulterer comes back to the Lord and wants to come back into the church. And how do you feel? How do you feel? How did those church elders feel when those guys who denied the Lord wanted to come back into the church? I think love needs to conquer judgment. Truth number four, as we declare out loud the truth of our new identity in Christ, Jesus heals us of the traumatic imprinting of our old life and frees us to experience the reality of our new selves in him. Guys, this is our new identity. We have got to rise up in this. Do you know that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation? Do you know that you are a new species of human being? Do you know that you are a different kind of human than was on the face of the earth before Jesus died and rose again and sent his spirit and the spirit came into you and you are infused with divinity? Do you know that you are radically forgiven? That you are radically righteous? That you are radically blessed? That you are radically able to be used for the extension of the kingdom of God? Do you know that that's who you are? Good. Keep saying it. Keep saying, I am fully forgiven, Lord. Thank you. I am fully yours, Lord. Thank you. I can be used in a maximal way. Thank you. I am favored and blessed. Thank you, God. I have received abundance in my life because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I am brand new, and you are my God, and life is filled with hope and joy and peace and wonderful, and yeah, there are troubles, but guess what? You are Lord of all. Let's stand together. I need to take a shower. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for this reality in your word. Thank you for the healing of Peter and thank you for the healing of us, God. And let us not be people who are afraid to declare the wonderful salvation of the Lord in our lives and who we truly are in him. In Christ, we are bunches of wonderful things. 
And Lord, let us live in our new creation identity. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, and we rejoice forevermore in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. All right, guys. God bless you. If you need ministry, come forward.